Jesus is greater than. That's what we've been looking at over these past few weeks, and we'll continue to look at that today in the book of Hebrews. But the author of Hebrews has gone over and over and over on that fact. Jesus is greater than. He's greater than the greatest things that you would come in contact with on this earth. He's greater than your past. He's greater than the difficulties you have. He's greater than it all. And so that's really the bottom line of what we're getting to. And what Jesus has said when he was asked, what's the, what's the greatest command of all things? He, he gave a response where he said, the first is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, depending on which translation you're looking at. And then he said something else. He said, but the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we've been looking at the fact that Jesus is greater than, and, and the author of Hebrews has been trying to help his audience, which was a Jewish audience which had grown up with all the traditions and the covenant. He's trying to help them make this transition and connect the dots from their past and their traditions to the future of where Jesus is leading them. And the same thing is true for us. We're trying to connect the dots between our past and our experience and the things that we put together in life. And we're trying to take that message that Jesus is greater than and learn how to connect that dots for our future so that we can find life. And that's the bottom line is that God came so that we can have life, a life that goes beyond anything that we could possibly dream or imagine or have on our own. And so he tells us in the greatest command, first of all, you want to love me with everything that you have. But then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And can I just be real honest with you? There's, there's most of the time we don't have a problem with the first part of that command. We need to love God. We need to pour ourselves into that. But when it comes to loving others, sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes it's difficult. But the bottom line here from God's word is this, a shared life is the best life. That's what we need to understand. A shared life is the best life. We are created to walk in relationship with God, but we're also created to walk in relationship with others as well. And that's where it gets hard. <laughs> that's where it gets real hard at times. But let's look at what the author is saying this week about this, and we'll dig a little bit more into that. Starting in verse 19 of Hebrews 10, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And then look at verse 24. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now first, I think I need to address the fact that we are still in a culture where we're trying to be socially distant and aware of those around and 
No, this isn't some backhanded way that the pastor is trying to preach and make everybody that's watching online feel guilty that you're not here. That's not it at all. That's not what this verse is even talking about in that context. He's talking about the fact that there's a simple truth that when we do life together and we're there with people side by side, then we can help provoke one another onto love and good works. That we need to strive to gather together with people, to live life together, to live this thing out. And he says so that we do not fall away. And if you think about it, everything in our culture really celebrates and sometimes even pushes us toward independence, right? We need to be independent. I don't need that. I don't want to be around. I just want to be my own man. I want to be my own person. But what God's word says is everything that's in it is pushing you to be part of a community, part of a group of believers, part of a family, part of things that will help you be around people so that you do not fall away from the faith. You know, when you think about it this way, if, you, if you've ever been around someone, I want you to get a picture in your head of being around someone that says, well, I'm, I'm just going to do this my own way. They're, they're probably about two years old and they're yelling at you at that point in time, right? I mean, that's what I usually get in my mind when, when that's happening. But m- people, when they mature, learn to be around people. They learn to seek help and to, and to be around one another. And so let's dig into the life that we can find if we trust that Jesus is greater than anything that we're going to come in contact with in this world. Then we also have to believe that Jesus is the greatest relationship that I can be in. And he can also lead me in my relationships as well. Now, some of you just got uncomfortable because we're going to talk about relationships. And I get uncomfortable with that, about that too because I realize I'm in relationships. And a lot of times I'm the problem in those relationships. So I'm just going to preach at myself here for a little bit and hopefully it will be helpful to you. But first of all, let's dig into this. Because Jesus is greater, there are some things that we can do now in life. The first one he spells out pretty clearly. Because Jesus is greater than anything, I can come boldly to God. Think about that. I can come boldly to God. He says, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary. You see, he went to great lengths in Hebrews chapter 9, if you will, to explain the details of salvation. It wasn't just, sometimes we, sometimes we oversimplify it. Sometimes we stand up and we preach truth. And I'm not saying this isn't true, but sometimes we don't think about actually what went into it, the fact that Jesus Christ died so that we can have forgiveness of sins and we can draw near to God. And I can say that in a sentence and we believe that and we know that, but we really sometimes don't think about the fact that Jesus Christ went through all that he went through and gave up everything that he had so that someone would deal with my sin and make it possible for me to live in right relationship with God. You see, it's not, it's not just that God went, well, I'm just going to forgive you and just kind of patted us on the head and said, I forgive you and moved on. No, there were consequences to sin. And so not only did he forgive us, he also paid the consequences for our sin. And because he paid the consequences for our sin and forgives us, we now have the opportunity to come boldly to God to come direct to his throne, to know him, to follow him, to have a relationship with him. This parallels what we talked about earlier in chapter 4 
where we come boldly to the throne of grace. I love the fact that it's called the throne of grace because it's only by the grace of God that we get to approach him. He, he's the one that made a way for us. And so we need to understand that we have the opportunity to come boldly to God, but the only thing that is standing in the way of us drawing close to God is us. That's it. It's us. There's no circumstance out there anymore because Jesus is greater than our circumstances. Jesus is greater than our past. Jesus is greater than any situation that you might face. Jesus has cleared the way, and the only thing standing between you and God is you. And so if we choose not to come boldly to God, it's because we're making a choice that says, God, I, I, I just can't. I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to do this. It's a decision that we make. But because of what Jesus did, we can come boldly to God. Because Jesus is greater, we can also hold on to hope. Now think about that. We hold on to hope. He says in here, hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Have you ever thought about how important it is to have hope? Hope is the key. Hope is what keeps us engaged. Hope is where it's at. Now, I'm going to give this silly illustration, but I think it's going to make perfect sense for us. Anybody enjoying football season? All right, football season? Okay, we're enjoying football season. Three in the back. Thank you guys for being here. I'm going to talk to them for just a minute. But look, if you have a favorite team, it doesn't matter what sport it is. Do you know what you're doing without thinking about it when you're watching them? You're holding on to hope. Because if you're watching your team and they're getting killed, I guarantee what's happening in your mind is you're going, okay, if they turn the ball over and we score and get an onside kick and then get another onside kick and score and then get another onside kick and score and then maybe, the, maybe their quarterback breaks their ankle or something, maybe we can win this game. I mean, that's the stuff that we're, we're constantly doing that. You know what that's called? That's called hope. It's called hope. We are holding on. Because if we give up now, I know some of you also are like this. Like the other team scores once, you're like, we're out. We're not going to win this one. Right? You're hopeless, right? There's nothing we can do for you. You're not going to be engaged. You're not watching. But those of us who are truly engaged, who are true fans, we're always trying to figure out how to make a way for our team to win. Do you realize something? God is constantly making a way for us. God is constantly making a way for us. And sometimes the reason we don't approach him boldly is because we've already given up hope. In our mind, we look at our past and we look at the back and we go, God, I don't know how you can overcome that. I don't know how you can deal with that. I don't know how, how you can get me from what I've done to where I need to be. And we just walk around hopeless. And God's going, look, I'm going to tell you something. We've got to play for that. We got, a, we got something we can do. We, we can get from here to there. We pointed this out in my Bible study class this morning. It made sense once. Maybe it will make sense again. You know, all, all, that, all that we can do as we approach life, think about this. We're looking at our past and we're looking at God's word. And we're always trying to figure out how to connect our past with God's word and figure out how to take a step forward. But you know what God's doing? God, the God who holds our future in his hand, God who knows the end of the story, God is constantly looking at the future and the end and seeing where you are and going, I can get you there if you'll just follow me. We're looking at it from the other side going, I don't know how I'm going to get there. And God's going, come on, just follow me. No matter where you are, we, we can get there. Because with Christ, there's hope. 
with God, there's hope. You may not be able to see it. You don't have to see it. You just have to put your hope in the one who can see it. And he will get you there. Hope is the key. And the truth is, whenever you come across someone in whatever situation where they've given up hope, there's just almost nothing you can do. Because it just truly then at that time becomes hopeless and almost pointless. But because Jesus is greater than, I can hold on to hope. And then he takes this passage as he talks about what it means to walk with Christ. And then just like Jesus said, the great commandment is to love him and then to love others. Look at what he says. Because of Jesus, here's what we can do. We can live for others. We can live for others. Now some of your immediate question would go, why would I want to do that? Because if God's word is teaching us that the way to life is to love God and to love others, I can guarantee you it's the way that you want to go. Because he's going to point us to a life that goes beyond anything that we might come up with on our own. He's going to point us to true life. And what God's word continues to tell us over and over and over is that true life is found in having a right relationship with him and relationships with others as well. And I promise you, the enemies at work, as I'm saying this, because some of us are already making a list in our head of going, I'm good with all these people, but boy, these people. I don't know. And that's how, that's how the enemy likes to work. But what God's word says is we need to live in such a way, let us consider one another. That's why I'm telling you, this isn't some message about gather just in church. It's about living life together. It's about sharing life. It's not some backhanded way to say you're shamed if you don't attend Sunday school, which we don't even call it Sunday school anymore. It's Bible study, so there, all right? But we are looking at this in such a way where we understand that life is found when I learn to live it with others and for others. That's the greatest life. The author here actually, when you look at the original language, what he's trying to get across is we need to learn to come alongside and contend for one another. Now there's no possible way that you can come alongside and contend for people that you don't know. As a matter of fact, think about the difference of the way that you treat people that you don't know and the people that you do know. The more you get to know people, yes, you get to know that they're not perfect. I am the leader of imperfect people because I am an imperfect person as well. And so I understand that as a pastor, I'm the, I'm the head imperfection right out here of this church. And God is continuing to work through me. And, and I promise you, the more you get to know me, I, I don't know, you may not even like me now, but some of you like me from the stage, and then you get to know me a little bit more, you'll find something you don't like. I guarantee it's not hard. You don't even have to look real hard. I'm just that way, okay? And so the truth is, when we start getting into relationships with people, we start finding out some things, but God says we, we, we cover that, okay? We know how to be present with one another. We come alongside, we contend for one another. We need to learn that that's where life is found in learning to come together with others. And so as we do that, there it goes, every Sunday. For those that are online, that would be the fire truck's turn to come by at this point in time. We need to learn to come alongside and live life with one another because that's where true life is found. And notice when the author says this, he says what happens when we do that is we get better at love and good works. We get better at love and good works. And I know the truth about this. Actually, 
if, if I have relationships with people that we're able to work through difficulties and things, I give a lot of grace. They are allowed to have a bad day. They're allowed to have a mess up. They're allowed to have mistakes. I still love them. You know, it, it affects things at times. But people I don't know, I just tend not to give a whole lot of grace. I, pr- I can prove that on the way home in my car. Okay? If I don't know you and you do something I disagree with, then there is no grace for me. I'm just convinced of your wrongness and my rightness. And I, and I live in my righteousness, happy about it, okay? But it's just there. But when I know you, and this has happened, I promise you this has happened here because, you know, Weatherford, come on. There's been some times I have passed judgment and then seen one of your faces and did, Lord, forgive me, I love that person. <laughs> because when there's a relationship there, we have a tendency to give more grace. And we find life and we provoke one another to love into good works. And so we need to understand that in that context, we get to find life, live with one another, and a shared life is the best life. Guys, our faith, our faith, our Christian faith, it's truly a team effort. It's a team effort. It's not something that's just supposed to be yours and yours alone. You love God and you love others, and that's where you find it in its fullness. Our faith is about relationship, not information. Okay, information's good, but relationship is where it's at. Relationship is where you begin to understand that faith is more than just this grasping of knowledge and knowing things. I I promise you, the God who knows everything is not impressed with how much I know. He's looking for how much I love. And that's what it is. And so we find true life in relationships. And let me tell you a little bit about why a shared life then is the best life. And again, I keep coming back to this because I know anytime you talk about relationships, you have to deal with broken relationships, and we're going to get there in just a minute. But just hear me for a minute. Why is a shared life the best life? The first thing is this, is because some decisions are too important to make alone. You ever thought about that? Some decisions are just too important to make alone. Now, those of you who know me know that my, my parents passed away about 14, 15 years ago. And I promise you, my dad was my go-to on these things. When I, oh man, early on in life or early on in marriage and stuff, when I'm trying to figure stuff out, even if he didn't know it, he convinced me that he did. I've only learned recently, oh, dad didn't know all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? But it was my go-to. It was a person I could call and go, man, how do I navigate this? What do I do here? What's going on there? Because I was looking for someone, and everyone in here who has some of these color hairs, listen to me. We're all looking for someone in life who's walked a little bit more of the road than we have so that they can help us make some better decisions. Because sometimes we just need some people to go, help me navigate this. It's like I said earlier, the only person out there screaming I can do it by myself is about two years old. And you know where that gets them. We need to learn from people who've gone before. Hey, good morning, students. How are y'all? Can I ask a favor of you? Would you please make different mistakes than I did? At least listen to people who are older than you and make different mistakes than they did. Because it's boring making the same mistakes over and over. And and we've been there and done that. And so if you would reinvent things, that would be awesome for us. So we need to learn to look for the counsel of those who have gone before because it helps us in making decisions. It's all over Scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples. Proverbs Chapter 15, verse 22, plans fail 
when there's no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. That means you should ask some questions. You should look into some things. Proverbs 12, 15, a fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. We're supposed to be in this together, life together. And you don't have to make all those things on your own. I promise you, I am so incredibly thankful for people in my life, whether it be helping me spiritually, whether it be helping me emotionally, whether it be a mechanic who I go and I don't know how to do this, you know, and, and, or whether it be someone helping me with finances of what to do with those type of things. There's so many things in life that I don't know and God never intended for me to be the expert at because you know what he did? He gave you, me, and me, you. And that's how we're supposed to live. And that's where we find the fullness of life is when we learn to live it together. But not only are some decisions too important to make alone, some seasons are just too difficult to bear alone. You know, there's a truth about life. Whether you choose to follow Christ or not, this truth is true. Life is hard. Life has seasons. Some of those seasons are great. Some of those seasons are difficult. Sometimes the seasons are short. Sometimes the seasons are long. We never know. But the truth is there are some seasons that you're going to come to in life that are absolutely too difficult to go through on your own. And if you've gone through some of those seasons, I guarantee you can look back and say, I'd have never made it through that without, and you can probably start naming some names. So the truth is we need to understand that there's going to come, if it's not already here, a point in our life when we need people. And you know what's true? None of us have a problem reaching out to people when we're in need. But what we need to learn to do is build into those relationships in the good seasons so that when the hard seasons come, it's already there. Because if we don't do it that way, it's like trying to draw from a savings account that you've never made a deposit from. It's like I have it, it's there, I'm never going to put anything in it, and then all of a sudden I need it, and it's like, well, why isn't anything in it? Well, because when things were good, you weren't doing anything to grow that. <clears throat> you see, it's not hard for us to be convinced that we're in need when we're in need. It's more difficult to be convinced that we need to do life when, with one another when things are actually kind of going good on our own. When you're actually trying to find a friend when life's most difficult, I'm just telling you, that's a hard time to find a friend. Life's a little late at that point in time. So we need to learn to take the times in our life when we feel like we're in a season that's going good and the times in our life where things are hard and we know that we need people and we need to learn to equally put into that relational change depository into other people's lives and have them put into ours so that we can know that there's life together that can happen. You know, a while back at another church I served, we were looking at some of the phrases that churches say and some other um, ways that they get points across. And there was one that has always stood with me that one church would ask their uh, congregation, do you have any 2 a.m. friends? And it was just one of those things, I don't even have to explain it, but I will. But it was one of those things that made perfect sense to me is like if something happens at 2 a.m., who do you have confidence in getting that on the phone and knowing that they're there for you? you don't, you're not calling them going, I'm sorry, I'm calling you at 2. You're immediately going, hey, I need you. And they're like, I'm here. Do you have 2 a.m. friends? See, you don't get 2 a.m. friends at 2 a.m. You make 2 a.m. friends at like noon. Just want you to know that. 
when things are sunny and good and you're there. And then when stuff happens and you need them, that, that's, when, that's when you can call out to them. And Jesus even gave us an example of this as he was heading to the cross. <clears throat> it says in Matthew 26, Then Jesus came with them, them being the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He had a rough season, to say the least. He said to them, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Jesus himself was saying, this burden is too heavy for me to bear by myself. Will you walk this road with me? We need those kind of friends. Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because they have good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Let's keep going. Galatians chapter 6 tells us, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. Let me give you a, a word here. Life is not found in our excess. It's found in our access. Life is not found just by the abundance of things that we think that we can do and store up for ourselves and take care of ourselves and become self-sufficient. It's found in our access, the fact that we have access to God and he wants us to give others access to our life as well and have access into their life. He's saying that's where you find life. All this other stuff is going to be gone in a flash, but those relationships and those things that you build will last forever. And so we're supposed to have life together so that we can walk through seasons of life with one another. And one more reason why life, a shared life is the best life is because some temptations are too strong to resist alone. Can we have an honest moment here? Some temptations are too strong to resist alone. So this idea that we all gather at church because everything's all good and that's why I'm at church is kind of silly, isn't it? We gather at church because we're in need of a Savior. And sometimes we gather at church because we need to be around people that are going to encourage us and walk through us with whatever season that we're in. And sometimes we need to have those people in our life that we can go, hey, I'm struggling and this is what I'm struggling with. Hey, this person did this again, it's making me want to do this. Hey, this happened again, now I want to do this. And, and it's that old life that continues to pull at us. And if we just think that we can handle it on our own, I'm telling you, the greatest tactic that the enemy uses is isolation. He just wants to get you out there on your own and make you think that you can handle it all by yourself. And he'll just bombard you with things that you can't handle. So to be able to pick up the phone and call one of my friends and going, hey, I'd really like to drive over and punch this person in the face. Can you talk me off this cliff? kind of helpful at times. Now you fill in your sin. 
because that's what we need is we need people who accept us for who we are and they understand we're not perfect and we have struggles and we have parts where we're going to fall. And yet I need people sometimes where I can go, look, this is what I'm dealing with. And I just need to be able to deal with this and can you help me? And they help us navigate away from these things. Because if I don't try to, to go to others and I'm just left all on my own, I promise you I'm, I'm going to end up falling and stumbling at some point in time. In Ephesians, Paul writes, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And you get that picture of how serious God says temptation is going to be? He's saying, if you're going to go walk through this earth, you might want to take this armor with you. He's not just saying, here's some shoes, have a good time. He's saying there's a lot of things that you're going to face that you're going to have to gear up and be ready to face. And then he says, the greatest gift that I can give you is that Jesus is greater than all of it, and I didn't leave you here to do it by yourself. Look at what James writes. Just one verse, but so powerful. Therefore, confess your sins to God, right? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now, I'm not about to put a microphone on here and we're all going to stand by and confess. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying you need to have that person in your life. You need to have those people in your life that you can be real with. That you can say, I I need help because this is where I failed. And I don't want to do this anymore. And, and, And I'm... I'm upset because I went down this road or I don't like doing this. And can I just say this? Please hear me on this. And I say this with all sincerity and love. Don't surround yourself with people that just go, that's okay, everybody goes through that. Surround yourself with the person that's going to look at you and go, that's wrong and you need to stop. And we need to figure out a way to stop that. Because we all love to commiserate. And we can always find other people who are worse off than we are or better off than we are. But that's not what... James is saying you need to have that person in your life that you can go, hey, this is where I messed up. And I need help getting past this because if it's just up to me again, it looks like I'm just stuck on this pattern. And when you find that person that you can just be real with in your life, that is a person worth investing everything in. Because none of us are perfect. And we need to help one another if we're going to walk through this life and find the life that Christ has for us. Because a shared life is the best life. So we shouldn't neglect gathering together. We should watch out for one another and provoke each other to love and good works like the author is saying because that's where we're going to find life. You see, my faith is meant to be shared. Shared in the good times, shared in the bad times. My faith is meant to be shared. And not only in the gospel way where we're trying to help other people know that they can have a relationship with Christ. But my faith is supposed to be shared along the journey. That's why we say, as part of our church, we like to help people invite others on the journey of faith. Because it's a journey, isn't it? 
We walk down this path, and sometimes we do well, and sometimes we struggle and we fall, but we're not in it alone. God is for us, and he's given us one another. And that's why it's so important to gather together. Not just to come to Bible study and learn more. Not just to check a box that I've been to church, but to find life and share life with one another. You're not going to get it just coming once. You're not going to get it if you don't pursue it as well. You're going to find it when you wake up every day and learn to say, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to trust God and I'm going to live for others. Would you bow your heads with me?